Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Timmerman. Hi, everybody. Our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello, everybody. And we are going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon-related questions today and mountain bike. Cycling covers all that stuff. Can we stop mountain bike for a while? We've already we done enough. We've done a lot of it, but... Uh, Please, if you want to submit questions, whatever type of bicycle riding endeavor it has to deal with, with training, getting faster, anything else like that, submit them to us at trainerroad.com slash podcast. A bunch of people have been asking questions, submitting them there about what the heck do I do because it's cyclocross season or it's coming. Best season. Yeah, cross is coming, so I need to change over my training. Um, Nate, do we want to go through your scenario and yeah. then we can kind of use Probably our different scenarios. Pretty common we one. can talk about me. <clears throat> yeah. And then, <laughs> the best. and then we'll switch over and cover a few different scenarios. Hopefully it gives you, we're just going to try to stick to principles here. Um, everyone may be a bit different, but remember that if you stick to this meet, it should help you. Uh, I've got a few right principles spot. and a single track six in my copious free time. <laughs> I talked to Chad about this so we can review Chad. Let's play a little coach and athlete thing. Okay. So I, I went through my mountain bike season and I had my A race of mountain biking that didn't turn out so well. Listen to the previous seven episodes or something to learn about that. Um, so what I had is a, I had a, a taper one race and then kind of a week forced off. I've now come back and I have a week long vacation with my family in a week. So it's, it's kind of weird. So basically I'm doing a, we've talked about it before, kind of a high, a high TSS week kind of like a training camp and I'm going to do no exercise and all with my family have a whole week off. And then I'm going to reset for my, it's like, that's going to be a reset for my cyclocross season. This feels like a special snowflake question. No, it's not. (laughs) The idea So one principle in there is, um, I'm doing a bunch of training stress and then right before vacation where I'm not going to work out. You're doing like a pre-vacation overload block. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing like three to 400 TSS per week. And this would probably be a mm, five or 600 TSS week, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more, maybe 800, 246. It's already 600 in 80. So <laughs> it will be, be big. a big week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you'll need the rest. No, you may already, not need a full week's rest, but you'll, you'll probably come back a bit stronger than you left. It's right. already 700. I'm confused. Yeah. So my, my plan is, uh, what, what day is today? August 12th? August 8th. August 8th. I'm going to come back and do our cyclocross specialty plan. And that is because I've already have a good base for the season. That's going to bring me into the start of cross season. And then cross season is so long for us because nationals are here in January. I am going to inside of that do a build again for another eight weeks. And I am going to choose which build general short or sustain based on how I feel and what I feel like I'm lacking in and then do the cyclocross specialty plan once again, but at a higher FTP, hopefully than the previous one. One thing, uh, really quick to cover, uh, if you're wondering what specialty plan to pick, that one's pretty easy for cyclocross. Pretty pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah what, cyclocross what isn't as clear though, is the build that you use coming into it. And this can be cover something you should tie to the type of, the type of cyclocross racer you are. I mean, the course is going to dictate to some extent how you have to race it, but there are riders who, regardless of course format, will find, will race it to, to suit their abilities in that, you know, they'll, they'll attack the hard climbs, um, in, in you know, try to inflict damage or gain time on those short, hard stretches, as opposed to, you know, maybe a breakaway rider who tries to, you know, put in a move similar to an equatorium or a road race, get a gap, and then sustain that gap with more evenly paced riding. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure you can guess which, which way you'd go. I mean, sustained power is more for the breakaway type 
of cyclocross racer, whereas short power or even the general power or general build, it, it would be a better fit. So either way, just consider how you plan to race and try to, you know, match your conditioning to this, uh, strategy. And then, so Chad, my approach sounds sound. I think so. Yeah. And you've got time to, you've got a lot of time to play with. So, so it, a lot of fit, a lot of potential fitness to build. If I had, a. Uh, if either my season wasn't so long or there was more time before my season, I could drop that first specialty, right? And just mm -hmm. go build. Mm -hmm. I kind of did my, you know, my mountain bike peak, then I could do a build and then another. Yeah. And then after, I recommend this in almost all cases though, after you've completed a specialty plan and performed at your A event, I mean, your fitness has peaked and, and it's hard to, to watch any of that dissipate, but you got to give your body a little bit of chance to recover. How much that is for you? It's entirely up to you. It could be five days, could be two weeks of, of base training. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit subjective. I mean, it's always subjective. But the fact is some sort of downtime just to reinvigorate you psychologically and to physiologically let your body rebound a bit is absolutely a good idea. So I got that at single track six. You did. Because I, I couldn't work out. Yeah. And then I've been doing- You're going to get it next week too. I've been doing power PRs this week on the road. This morning I did, this is after like my, you know, my 280, my 220 day of TSS. I did 325 normalized for 20 minutes. I was doing a 20 minute interval up Geiger. Nice work. That's there pretty go. good. Yeah. So yeah, I, safe I don't- Say your threshold is 300 plus. Well, I say 305 Very right now, probably, but yeah. um, if I, that's really good though, right? Cause I it's was not doing this last year at this time, or I wasn't, I've never done that much power. Cross season is going to be a lot better for you. Yeah. As long as I don't get a setback. Could be. Like let's, a, let's try to keep things on track this time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No yeah, broken exactly. bones, no surgeries. So, um, I'm just saying that the point is like that taking that week off, although it was so hard during it. I came back stronger and I feel like I've leveled up, even though I didn't get all six that's, days That's of an stress. important lesson right there too. I mean, we're so reluctant as endurance athletes, mm -hmm. especially when we train so regularly to watch any of that fitness seemingly slip away when, when downtime doesn't necessarily mean we're seeing a performance decrement. We're actually seeing or actually allowing our bodies to rebound and come back and, you know, dole out some, some proper power PRs like Nate's doing right now. And mm -hmm. I think it's easier like the week of Christmas or the week of Thanksgiving. It's like, oh, that... I can take a rest week then, but taking a rest week in the first week of August, right? When you know mm -hmm. cross is coming, that's hard. But I really think it was the proper thing for me to do. You know what, too? I, I complain a lot about my legs being tired. This week, my legs have not been tired. Like they well, got so much rest. Also consider uh, your rest week was truly a rest week. There wasn't a heck of a lot going on. When you take a it's quote unquote duties. rest week across. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I mean, across <laughs> the holiday. If you couldn't hear that, that was Chad and I, eyes rolling back <laughs> in our heads. I was right doing there. all this stuff for you, but it's not that much work. <laughs> it is. The There's fact is there, there was a lot of sitting around and a whole, not a whole lot of responsibility. Did. So you actually got to relax. Yeah. Whereas over the, you know, maybe a Christmas break or something, if you're a, a parent or a there's a, lo a lot of situations where that's not going to be a, a very restful period of time. So it's not the same quality of rest that you experienced last week. When you're a parent, there's no, unless you're- That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. On a business trip that gets canceled. Stress comes in a lot of forms. Yeah, yeah that's the only recovery. Uh, a couple of things, if you don't mind, Chad, I just want to pose a few scenarios. Uh, so <laughs> let's say that you've been training, you know, whether it's like time trial style efforts, or maybe even triathlon, mm -hmm. and you're- going uh, over to cross, which I think a lot of triathletes should do, by the way, cross yeah. is like the perfect mm -hmm. thing for them to perfect. get comfortable with it. Um, but if you're doing that, uh, you're going from steady state work mm -hmm. over to cyclocross stuff, yeah. uh, which is usually just because the course demands it. Like you said, even if you try to pace it, it tends to be much more stochastic than that. Yeah. How, what would you recommend or what should they look out for? Will it seem difficult? What should they do in terms of picking a build well, plan? They're or? already coming from a high level of muscle endurance, which is we're, we're very clear on is beneficial across the board. It's certainly beneficial across cyclocross. 
Um, really, they just have to sprinkle it with, I'd say VO2 max efforts, but even the sustained power, sustained builds and and the 40K TT plan, there's a bit of that woven in. So that won't be entirely new territory. But if they address the anaerobic side of things with you know, some cyclocross workouts and some of those um, uh, the spiky looking reduced amplitude billat style workouts that are kind of criterium format with 15 seconds on, 15 seconds off sort of thing and get used to pushing those high watts with intermittent, very short recoveries and doing them over and over and over again, that sort of training. But basically what I'm saying is you're starting from a high level of fitness. And now you do, you just have to, again, like a specialty plan is aimed at doing just tape or uh, target that fitness and make it a little more specific to the, the races. Sharpening the blades, so to speak. Exactly. One thing to keep in mind is it, it may f- be a shock to your system to suddenly go to like these short, high intensity intervals. Yeah. Um, it may be, and it may be more difficult for you. We ask a lot of people that ask, or we have a lot of people that have asked in the past, you know, should I change my FTP because I'm doing this? And I don't think that you should change your FTP. Your FTP uh, is your FTP. No, it's still scaled to FTP. And, and the stuff above threshold doesn't always track as nicely as the stuff below threshold, mm-hmm. but it's going to be close enough. I mean, if that means a, a marginal reduction in workout intensity from time to time, so be it. But you're not going to be very far off your your FTP regardless of discipline. What I found, and especially last year when we went into Cross Vegas and I really didn't do any hard numbers before Cross Vegas, <laughs> Cross Vegas was so hard. And- oh yeah, you don't want that to be a surprise on yeah. race day. I mean, that's, that's the whole gist of specialization. You want to do exactly what you're going to have to do when it, when it matters. Mm-hmm. Don't do what I did. Yeah. Definitely don't. Hey, we don't cover news. Yeah. But I want to cover one bit of news. Yeah. Cross Vegas is going to be in Reno next year. Yeah, it's going to be pretty sweet. Cross what? Vegas? Yeah. Chad so does not cross- know this. Interbike. Yeah, Interbike and so Spanish So are we doing Cross Reno here though? No, nope, well, they're calling it Cross Vegas really? and keeping it in Reno. <laughs> what? Uh, it's they, very strange. I, yeah. I assume they'll change this. Maybe they think that like most other people that like Reno is right next to Las Vegas. So, but they'll, uh, I'm sure that they'll recognize that that is not the case. Um, I'm sure it'll be changed. I could see it being called across Reno, but I know that they would have perhaps difficulty with that since there already is an event called across Reno, but who knows? Regardless, we'll be racing in our backyard. Yeah. So Interbike's coming to Reno, which is the North America's largest, second largest bike show in the world after Eurobike. They're doing a day and a half um, anyone like consumer demo day at North Star. So anyone go up and demo all those bikes at, at North, North Star. Star. It's going to be so different. It's a, a day and a half demo of day. industry demos. Yeah. So we can do all three, all it's two days yeah. because it's back to back. And then they're having the show here at like 10 minutes from our office. Oh, yeah. yeah. We are going to bomb you guys with podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. So anyone, if you guys, if anyone listening is in the industry and you want to come to the office, go on rides. Like, yeah. Or we if are here. Or if you're a consumer and you're, you want to come to that show, like it actually sounds like now it's going to be so much better for a consumer. It sounds like they're even going to try to tailor uh, everything around, even at the show to possibly accommodate that. But up at North Star, it's going to be like the incredible riding yeah. road and mountain is going to be incredible. We love there. North Star. There's so. um, this guy named Jeff Pearson from No Relation uh, who is, does boost swimming. I think he's like uh national open water swim champ when he was a little bit younger. Jeez. He's a very good swim coach. He does swim clinics up at Kings Beach. Um, which is close to North Star. Yeah, really close, Tahoe. right? You just ride over. If you're a triathlete, you can ride over Brockway, which is on the Ironman Lake Tahoe course. Be right there. And he does underwater GoPro swim analysis. So he'll um, video you, use his coach's eye. He, I've seen a few of them from him. He is outstanding for like technique. Hmm. Both at like, I've seen it from... Um, a high level swimmer and he just sees things. He's like Lee, you see things that you don't, yeah. you can't even see. And then at a, um, a lower level too, with my, my wife was using it and just, you know, 
it's it's amazing. So I'm trying to. I've I told Jeff I already volunteered him. Now I'm really volunteering him mm-hmm. for him to do daily um, swim clinics in the morning because he puts oh. out buoys and he does sighting practice or race starts and. It should great. be a really good time. There should it's be a lot so going much. on. It's we'll be planning events too around that time. It should be if you're if you're ever planning to to have a bike vacation, it'll be a really good one to have. So yeah, go to North Star. You can just stay at North Star the oh, whole yeah. week. It's oh, gonna yeah. be awesome. Or the Ritz up the hill. Yeah. Or the Ritz if you're loaded. Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's cover a couple other items. Uh, do we feel I do anything else that we <clears throat> want to cover on transitioning to cross? Basically, I think the principles we're all down is. Take a rest week if you've already had an A race. Yep. And then do the specialty plan. It's going to hurt. Yep. If you have the time for a rebuild, that would be the time to schedule it, yep. whether it's two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. And keep in mind that that cross season tends to be pretty lengthy and there are a lot of racing. There's a lot of racing. So try to plan the race that matters most. Uh, you can look up on blog.trainerroad.com and we have a whole blog post on how to prioritize your events and how to pick events and, and be choosy there. And that certainly applies in this case. We're shooting for January for cross Nats because that's in Reno too. And y'all should be, yeah, (laughs) and y'all should be doing that. Uh, so then you can come and see us. It'd be awesome. Uh, Oh, one last thing. I heard somebody say this the other day and I thought, yeah, that makes sense. Somebody said, I don't know why everybody that, so a lot of people that are trained for cross, I see them running. And he's like, and I see them out jogging for like five miles. Mm-hmm. He's like, they are never, they should never be jogging in a cross race. You should be, if you're off your bike, you should be running. That's about the least, the most least specific, does that make sense? Yeah, the yeah. least specific way you could train running yes. in, yeah. in preparation for cross. You know what season. I think, being a former runner, mm. maybe I will, I'm going to return one day to running. But if I were to use running for cyclocross and I might do now, um, hill repeats. That's, That's all I do. Two minutes. Hill repeats Hill or 90 seconds. Because Hill sprints and then start to weave them into a, an obstacle type course. So, so you know, set up some barriers and obstacles or fabricate them in your brain. Whatever you do, you know, do a, do a hard ride into a hard run, back into a hard ride. And steep too. Yeah. Because Ideally. you're going to be running steep. Or else you'd be riding it. Yeah. And that's pretty much, you're usually only off the bike running on a steep hill or in sand. Um, in both of those scenarios, you could probably pretty easily replicate. But if you're going to be spending time off the bike, uh, make sure you learn how to mount and dismount beforehand, uh, before you get into a race. But if you're going to be spending time off the bike, I really do recommend, you know, making that time more efficient if you're going to be running. So, and, uh, the, uh, for the bang for your buck, hill sprints are uh, such a great way. Don't run down the hill, like walk down. Cause that can be really hard on the knees, especially yeah. if you're not yeah, a runner. There's no point in it either. And but, hopefully you're not running down a hill and cross. Hopefully you're riding down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it's just the, um, the amount of time that you're actually running, you get a, a lot of benefit and it's not so hard on your body. Um, mm-hmm. or, yeah. So yep. he'll terms repeats. of joint health and exactly. Yep. Tissue, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. You're not doing a two hour run. It just breaks you down. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, a lot of people, after listening to the episode that we posted on heat training, a lot of people have been asking us if they're training in humid environments, if the, if the effects are, are negated, if they're gone, because the tests that we covered or the, the studies that we, we shared all clarified or specified that it was in a dry environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's humid, Chad, does, do they go away? Yeah, no. And I mean, this, the, the core temperature elevation and the adaptation to that is still there. It's just, it's, it's harder to dissipate heat in a moist environment. So it's going to be a little more uncomfortable, but the adaptation is still, you know, on track. 
Awesome. So, and, and again, this is like if you are heading to a human environment or if you just live in one and that's, there's really no way around it, it is what it is. You have to, you have to do that. But if you're, if you're in a dry environment and you can uh, simulate a humid one heading to a humid race, it's absolutely a good idea. So when we climb Mauna Kea, which I think we're going to do. Oh, I know we're going to do that. Okay. Oh, yeah, we're yeah, doing it. Jonathan. Yes. <laughs> He's putting us in time trials, Jonathan. <laughs> are you guys going to do heat adaption because it's in October yes. and it could start to get cool in Reno. We need to, we need to do both. We Definitely need to. do some heat adaptation training. I don't think I'll do it in a humid environment. So I'm just going to see. Because right. the one thing where we are going to be riding is it's extremely dry where we start around mm-hmm. Waikoloa. It's like one of the driest places in the U.S. Wait, I thought it was humid there. Down on no. Queen K? Yeah, yeah. That was very dry last year. Yeah, it's one of the driest places, strangely. And then Hilo on the Hilo. other side of the island is one of the most wet places in the country. But isn't the, the relative humidity in the air pretty... Because that's what Kona is always known for being. Kona itself is humid. Up north onto Waikoloa, it's a strange pocket there where it's extremely hmm. dry. So oh. hence all the black rock and yeah. earth there. Never knew. Um, so we'll start out in really dry and then we'll get humid and then it gets cold. Uh, so <laughs> Good. we'll have, yeah, we'll have a mix of everything. Yeah. So. It'll be an interesting day. But yes, so I do you're going to do it. On, yeah. I, yeah, do, I plan on doing it too. If at the very least, just being a useful human being while we're down in Kona in the actual city itself. Oh yeah. You know, it'll We help. melted last year. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chad, a lot of people have been asking questions about your road bike. A lot of people have a lot of curiosity about it. Uh, and it, it does have a confusing name. We should clarify what it is, what tires you've used. Cause everyone keeps asking about what tires you use and if you've used it f- or you would use it for any mixed surface or gravel races. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll, I'll need your assistance on this, yeah. but because I haven't ridden the bike all that much, gotta be honest, I, I did a criterium on it and was really happy th- with the way it performed considering mm-hmm. it is a kind of a mix endurance slash road bike. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, I guess I, you would call it an endurance road bike. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So handled quite well in the criterium and as a, uh, not a particularly bumpy course, not a particularly technical one either, but the thing steers quickly, accelerates super well. I really couldn't be happier with it. Yep. And the disc brakes don't hurt at all. Yeah. Um, so but, but I bought it basically as a, as a multi-use bike. Um, is, as fun as it is to have a number of bikes, there's a lot of work that goes along with that. And just storing them is, is a bit problematic when you live in a house as small as mine. So it's uh, it was the idea is it's one tool for a lot of jobs. Now you wouldn't use that. You wouldn't have used this on Granduro. Or sorry, not on Grinduro, uh, but on uh, Lost and Found no, Gravel Grinder. No, that would have been a terrible choice, mainly because of the gearing. Right. I think, honestly, the bike could have gotten away with it with the right tires, but the gearing was definitely inappropriate. If you were to ride just on, like, smooth dirt roads, it'd be a great bike Fantastic for it. Fantastic bike for that. Yeah. And I Dirty Kanza. If we do anything like Dirty Kanza, and I know we're not Whoa. doing Dirty Kanza, but <laughs> if we were to do something like that, this would definitely be the bike for the job. It clears 28s, I believe, in the rear. Mm-hmm, and I think I have 26s on at the moment. Yeah, so, and uh, S-Works Turbo Tubeless 26 is what you have and but it can clear 28s i believe on there uh, and, and then it's got the adjustable squish thing in the back so you can make it so that it's stiffer or that it's uh, more compliant yeah so i can adjust the uh amount of is it dampening damping yeah, yeah i guess damping. You call it, yeah i can adjust that in the rear not in the front the the iso isomer iso speed iso speed coupler yeah, see, <laughs> i know very little <laughs> about my bike once i ride rides them yeah. <laughs> chad can you ever fit on an x or large so we need to get you and I to buy the same size bike That'd so we could just cool. trade. I don't think so. The, the <laughs> large is already at the upper end of what yeah. I'm comfortable on. So it's I, an it's an Domani SLR mm-hmm. disc. Disc. It is not the RSL, which is the right, Race Shop the Limited. Race 
that means that the geometry is extremely, uh, it's, it's much more aggressive on the, yeah, the RSL is the SLR. It's pretty friendly geometry, but still really malleable. I can do quite a lot on it. Yep. So I, I bought the Venge, the S works, the specialized, <laughs> the names, <laughs> the S works, sorry, the specialized S works, Venge, Vias, disc rolls right off the tongue <laughs> etap <laughs> oh wow yeah. so that is a it looks like a spaceship a specialized like aero road bike and i bought that because i thought i was gonna do a bunch of road racing it's a very fast road machine i really like it i've been running it a good amount now outside but now honestly that i'm not going to do a lot of road races because they scare me i kind of wish i got your bike my bike yeah yeah because on the longer rides for be like endurance and fitness yeah oh, man, just be it's a little more great on those too because i did some long endurance rides you know upwards of five hours and and that thing was just beautiful the whole time it's a sweet bike i've only ridden the rsl one the race shop limited one and it is the best bike i've ever best road bike i've ever ridden i'm so. sure we could put you on an extra large chat <laughs> we could just we try it I'm but not, if we I'm could share bikes yeah. how cool would that be <laughs> we have like a race bike an endurance bike yeah seriously a downhill bike I mean, we just get everybody it's good use of wheels bikes let's, let's get them all yeah. logan he says uh, he has a question about maintenance needed on a trainer he says, thanks for a great product. I've been using Trainer Road for the past five months with fantastic results. The emails from Coach Chad hit home for me. Much of my time before consisted of junk miles with little to no purpose. My FTP has improved by almost one whole watt per kilogram in five months. Kabam. Nice work. And I attribute this to the structure of the workouts, hitting power targets, and emphasis on rest. Just so people know, Chad isn't uh, sending personal emails to Logan all the time, managing his training. Uh, but that's stuff that we've actually taken. We've picked Chad's brain and 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 built up a specific set of knowledge that we feel like would be helpful for you when you sign up for trainer own. So, uh, so don't feel left out if Chad isn't sending you emails <laughs> constantly after every workout. That's yeah, not what Logan's got. I don't going really on. have time for that as much as I'd like to do it. I just yeah. don't have time. Well, there it's, we have too many users. That's <laughs> yeah. truth. Yeah. You yeah. cannot do it. It's true. <laughs> My question is hopefully simple and primarily directed to Jonathan, given his love of a clean machine. I have a Wahoo kicker and use it for all of my hard workouts each week. How should I maintain my kicker? Is there anything above and beyond the drivetrain that needs servicing? Given the substantial investment, I'd like my training partner to last a long time. I've I've back listened to all the podcasts and not to come across this question before, and I can't find other information on it. Uh, when in doubt, ask Trainer Road. Uh, so we, we, I mean, we've probably put more hours on most kickers than anybody would. Yeah, right? <laughs> some of our kickers are shared between yeah. many mm -hmm. people. Um, and you know what? I don't think we've had a durability issue with any trainer that I can think of. There are a few things that I can think of. Well, one thing with a, a kicker, if you use it in a dusty environment, it has an optical sensor on it. Mm. And you have to make sure that that stays clean. Uh, you can look up and, and Wahoo has instructions on how to clean it online. And I don't know if it behooves us to go into the specifics right now because it's describing something pretty visual. But there's a little checker, checkerboard circle, a uh, little part on the part that spins, the big, large flywheel there. Or not the flywheel, but the actual wheel that's turning. And you just want to make sure that that area down there is clean. Uh, the other thing we have seen, uh, free hubs, which this is just the nature of free hubs, free hubs will get dry. And then what will happen is the pawls will actually bind up inside. So it's super easy to service on your kicker. All you have to do is just take off the lock nut that holds your free hub on. You don't even need a special wrench for that, pull it off and then just use free hub specific grease on there and keep it clean. But you shouldn't have to do that. I mean, those, those are trainers that we've had for years and been using regularly all the time for many hours a day. And so it's, it's really rare. They're very hardy machines. I mean, we've, yeah. we've put literally hundreds and hundreds of rides on these things and they're yeah. still going strong. 
Um, but it goes for other trainer companies too. Like they're, yep. they, they build them pretty well. The one thing, um, going back to that optical sensor that I've noticed before in my office, and this is really weird, but when the sun hit my optical sensor just right, my kicker stopped reading power. And that's because it uses the optical sensor yep. as part of its calculations for power. And I was like, I was actually mad at one of, um, not one of our engineers, but the entire engineering and test team here. I'm like, how could you let this bug through? Yeah, da, da, yeah. Da. I closed my shade, instantly worked. Yeah. Open the are. shade again, stopped working. <laughs> yeah. So if you ever get in that situation, and, and it, this was during a ride too, the sun, it was, I was doing like a three hour ride inside. And as the sun moved, it moved across and hit that optical sensor, it didn't work. Not so today. that's just something to be aware of. Uh-huh. Yeah. So not only dust, but sun could also uh, cause an issue. Basically anything that blocks the optic. Yeah. I've, I've never once had a problem with a belt on a smart trainer. Uh, never seen those go wrong. No. Uh, certain, if you're using like a wheel on trainer, you might wear into the drum if you have a bad tire or using it like a dirty tire on there. But that's also really rare. I've, I've never seen that. Anymore. I've never seen a wear in the drum. Yeah. I've only heard of it online. I've never seen it. So. Yeah, I've seen it with old Compu trainers where they have the little resin uh, friction roller. Mm, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And Elite has that little like soft roller on there. They might get somewhere too, but yeah. I mean, smart trainers are pretty hardy. I don't, the only, the one thing that in terms of maintenance, it's not mechanical, but firmware updates, you just have to keep oh, yeah. up on those. So whatever app or whatever brand you have, whether it's a Cyclops hammer or, or whatever it is, make sure you stay up to date on firmware updates. If it's a smart trainer, if it's a smart trainer, <laughs> yeah. if it's not, you're going to have a hard time updating any firmware. And generally, uh, or yeah, the, all the companies, they have really good like warranty and support. So you just email them. And if you're in the warranty period, they just fix it and if there is a problem, you know, it's probably not that much money. Yeah. One thing I do, uh, with, uh, the trainer in my garage is I just, I have an air compressor in my garage and when I'm cleaning out the garage every week, I just, I just spray off the trainer with that. So, and around that optical sensor, it seems to, I haven't had any issues with it. So that should be all that you would need. Uh, Joel, uh, his question about skipping it's, it's, we're not to base training season yet people, but he has one that, that relates to that. He says, Love the podcast. Coach Chad, I've heard you say many times on the podcast that the base phase is to help your body learn to utilize more fat for fuel and spare glycogen. Uh, I'm among other things, of course, we've said, um, that's just one of the things he says, I'm fat adapted and have been eating keto for a couple years now. My question is if I'm always sparing glycogen and using my fat for fuel, do I still need to do a base phase or can I get away with going straight into build? The reason I ask is I'm mostly focused on cyclocross over other racing. And I think doing the sustained power build, then the short power build would prepare me for cyclocross season better than just doing short power build. Uh, thoughts. And then he says, by the way, I'm not counting on my, um, my guess being correct. So I'm already a few weeks into sweet spot basement. Yeah, one. Good, good on you, Joel. Cause that's what I'd recommend you do anyways. Uh, the, one of the benefits of base training is to better metabolize fat for fuel. So, so that's one of the aims and, and you've, yes, you've achieved that. And, and there are probably a higher level of aerobic enzymes and, and some of the things, some of the adaptations that we're chasing with traditional mind you base training. So the long, slow stuff are you know, somewhat in place more so than a, a, a person on a more sugar adapted diet. Um, but that's not the only thing we're trying to achieve with base training. We're, you know, we're also addressing form we're addressing, you know, muscular endurance, which is when you start to actually metabolize a bit, a bit more sugar. Um, boy, uh, joint integrity. So, you know, the qual or the, the, uh, the strength, the fortitude, I guess, of, of your connective tissue, the, all these things that come along and simply getting used to riding a bike and pedaling for long durations. These are things that diet can't do for you. So base play, base training still has its place regardless of whether you're a fat adapted or not athlete. Yep. 
Yeah, plenty of benefits across the board there. So. Yeah, and then and on top of it, you're diving into sweet spot base, which you know sweet spot work isn't aerobic work. It's not exactly the same thing. Yes, there's some aerobic benefit to it, but you're veering more towards muscle endurance, which is you know working at the higher end of the spectrum, more towards FTP, where you're using you know recruiting different muscle fibers, muscle fibers that utilize sugar, not just the ones that utilize fat. So we're building a different form of fitness than just aerobic base. Awesome. Uh, well done, Chad, if I may say so myself. Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> Gustavo, uh, he says, hello from Brazil. Hey, Gustavo. Uh, Brazil seems like an amazing place to ride, by the way. That'd be cool. Yeah, let's do that. I, I've been, yeah, let's do that. I've been using a, tra I've been using Trainer Road for a little more than a month and it's been great so far. Brilliant podcast as well. I'm finishing Sweet Swap Base Mid Volume 1 and a friend asked me to join him in a road race. It's on a car track, about 3.5 kilometers long, mostly flat with a one kilometer, 7% average climb. So that's kind of rough though. If you think about that one kilometer of a 3.5 kilometer course, is a 7% average 7%. climb. So we're talking more like a two, maybe three minute climb, depending yeah, on that could be pace. A, could be a tough one. Yeah. He says the race will last three hours and the Whoa. person with the most laps in that interval wins. That sounds like a cool race format. That's kind of cool, right? Right? I like it. He says, I have time to complete sweet spot base. For anybody listening to this, I'm already thinking of like telling our, our race organizers locally that we should do something like this. But <laughs> um, How many laps can you do? Yeah, it could be interesting, yeah. right? He says, I have time to complete sweet spot base mid volume two before the race, but is this the best approach in this case? Thinking about, I'm thinking about doing sweet spot base, low volume two mixed with workouts from your rolling road race specialty plan. I don't have any other races in mind. And my goal for this one is just to do well and learn how to pace myself before trainer road. I was riding about 150, 200 to 250 kilometers a week with around 2000 meters of total climbing. Thanks. So I guess he's kind of asking, can I? I've got a race coming up and can I take a shortcut? Yeah. And you're looking for something specific to the format of this race. And Gustavo, I got to tell you of the plans that we have on offer, I think it might literally be the best plan for you because the, the, which plan the sweet spot base mid volume two. So regardless of the volume, sweet spot base two, that second one is where I start to weave in uh, VO two max efforts, which are mm -hmm. two and three minute between two and three minute, um, very hard, basically all out efforts in succession. So you have to do a number of them over the course of each workout. Um, and the reason we do this is, is manifold, but the fact is you're going to be doing something very akin to this effort on a course like this. I mean, over the K, uh, over the course of a single kilometer at 7%, it's probably going to take you right about two or three minutes and yeah. it's going to be done at a really high percentage of your power of VO2 max. So, you know, 110, 115%, 120% of FTP, which is exactly what those workouts are. The rest of the time, you're going to be hovering really close to sweet spot wattage, which is what the rest of those workouts are. So it's a really good plan considering the format of this race. Mm. How would you, uh, what would be your strategy on this one, Jonathan? Yeah, it's, it'd be an interesting race to think about because you don't necessarily, I mean, I guess you know that it's going to be three hours, but you don't know how many laps that's going to be. I would personally go into that and I would, I would try to look at all the players and see who is going to go early and see if they want to try. I could only assume that this will fracture after three hours, you're going to get breaks. Yeah, I think and a fair up. amount of strategy is going to figure into that. I yep. think the, after the third 1k climb at seven percent it's going to fracture yep, yep. yeah because people are going to go all out during that that first lap or two mm -hmm. or three mm -hmm. and then uh wheels are coming off that wagon and i if if i'm so i'd be i'd be watching that unfold and mm -hmm. making sure that i'm not the guy that's going to be sit back be conservative and understand that if anything gets away early it's probably coming back unless you know there are some you know some real hitters up there yep yeah. And then the other thing that I would do is I would really aim to sag climb this one when you're talking about nearly 30%. Climb. Yeah. Nearly 30% of that lap will be a climb like yep. that. 
I would really aim to be conservative with that and try to pace yourself. What he means by sag climb, if we haven't, ex- we've explained yeah. this, but if you haven't caught this before, is start at the front of the climb, finish at the back of the climb. Yeah. Always Every in time. contact with yeah. the group. Because then you want to, because yeah, this, this seems like a course you want to be in a draft as much as you can, but then on that one K climb, there is no draft, right? right? Because for 7%, unless it's a headwind, uh, Seven percent, you could hit that pretty hard, but considering this last three hours, yeah. you're not going to be hitting that too hard. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean you, you can. In, in the case of decisive moments where you're trying to make something happen, yeah, absolutely. Also, one thing that I would say is on a course like this, I'm sure that anybody thinks that a breakaway will happen on the climb, and if it's a winning move or a break that actually sticks, I bet it doesn't happen on the climb. I could see it happening before or after the climb. My inclination would be to attack right at the top of the climb when yep. everyone else is gassed and trying to recover. That's usually most common. And I know that's where I look to put in an attack if that's the Mm -hmm. case. We used to actually race around a car track here in Reno Mm -hmm. for our weekly series. And it was a ton of fun. And I never once, I saw, I I can't think of a single race where I didn't see somebody trying or many people trying to get the breakaway on the climb. But I can't think of a single one that's stuck Mm -hmm. going on the climb. It's a hard fought gap to open up first off and then you have to support it. So you have to ride really hard after it. And that's tough when you went all out. Yeah. Yeah. And on that one, the climb was too short. Yeah. At that the, that particular race, <clears throat> excuse me, I won it once in the Bs. And this is a this is a strategy for lower level people. I don't know if I've said this before in the podcast. It doesn't work in upper level. But when in the Bs, when there was no one else, there weren't like teams. People don't have teammates. Everyone's riding for themselves. Mm-hmm. So there was there's kind of like um, you'd go for a long stretch into the wind, and there'd be a 180, and you'd be with the wind. It was super. It can be super windy, like 30 mile per hour winds. So as soon as we hit the wind, I attacked as ferocious as I could to get a gap. Then everyone else in the back, they're looking at each other being like, well, I don't want to pull everyone forward, mm-hmm. right? Because then I won't be able to win the sprint. Yeah. And they don't want to, no one wants to sacrifice themselves to pull people back from me. Yeah. So normally if there's teammates, I mean, attacking in the wind isn't the best scenario, but if people aren't working as a team, attacking right in the wind is- yeah, So you're basing your strategy on the lack of cohesion in the field. Yep, exactly. That's why I said it's it's a lower level tactic, yeah, exactly. upper level. It's kind of like poker. You can do things at a low level and then right. they just smoke you. Tactics at the, change later yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. You're basically battling against a, in, a, a bunch of individual riders rather than teams who are, you know, act, they, strategizing They would have pulled me more. back right away, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They would have yeah. seen me going. Yeah. One thing that I've found beneficial in races like this, I, I think of a criterium that Chad and I did in Salt Lake City, where uh, really short climb, extremely short climb there, but it was a steep little Hard sucker. Punch. Yeah. And uh, we ended up doing that one. And I, I shifted. There were so many guys at every lap, even if they were going slow, they were carrying a big gear going up that climb. And every time I dropped down and I was just spinning my way up that mm-hmm. thing, and I had so much more left in the tank later on. Uh, so that's one thing just keep in mind if you're really, you know, if you're carrying a big gear up that climb every time, that's going to put a lot of stress on those muscles. Yeah. Over the course of three hours, the last thing you want to do is muscle that climb every time you go through it. Yep. Yeah. So think, uh, think efficiency. That's what I would think and be clever. This sounds way fun though, because I don't know how many Super. people are on this, but it could be pretty packed, right? Could be. You could have a lot of people oh, on man, there. Oh man, you could start with 120 riders and it would be, it, it would whittle down pretty quickly. It'd be kind of fun to watch too, right? It yeah. would be. Yeah, it's a cool format. Yeah. I would like it. Little indie style. Closed roads because yeah. of the racetrack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Super nice and usually pretty good surface too. So next one is from Antonio and he actually, his his question is about endurance mountain bike races. So and for those that don't know, endurance mountain bike racing is a specific genre. Usually it's 
six hours would be on the low end of things, but a lot of the time it gets into 12 hour races and 24 hour races. It's common to do them as teams or you do it at solo as well. Uh, a lot of the time they'll start like in the afternoon and then they'll go through the night and then they'll finish in the afternoon. Uh, so you have to have lights and the whole deal. It's, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty intense, uh, affair. Although the pace usually tends to be interesting because in mountain bike racing, usually you start out really hard, but in this case, you kind of have to pace yourself because you might be going for 24 hours, right? Uh, he actually mentions the race 24 hours in El Pueblo, and we actually were thinking about that one at some point, right? 2019, guys. Yeah. Four-person, 24-hour race. Could be pretty fun. Wouldn't it be fun? We that's, can that's pretty fun. get a local ringer. ringer. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be fun. I, I I think it could be a ton of fun there. Back so. to deck a bit. But he, yeah. he asks, um, how, for me, me. <laughs> how would you prepare for these type of events? Um, he says that he's going to be doing single speed. So that's kind of a different beast. Uh, he says he's a fairly experienced single speeder, but just in general, Chad, how would things change if you're doing like six hour racing? Oh, so, so obviously big endurance and, and more toward the aerobic side than the muscle side. So you have to be good at going, you know, for a long time taking, I don't know how long your breaks are going to be. It sounds like, uh, we got two person team. Is that what yeah. it says? No, he's going solo. Solo. He's doing a solo 24-hour oh, race. Lord. Yeah. Okay. So that's just going to be a, a, a slow-paced affair. It is on a mountain bike trail, but unless this is a very technical course, which... And it's 24 hours of Old Pueblo isn't particularly te technical there. We should totally do Okay. It. So this is, you know, along the lines <laughs> of training for... Uh, saying training for a century might you know, give you the impression that it's not going to be hard. Well, I mean, centuries can be hard too, but yeah. but you need that long-term endurance. So a, a century approach would work exceptionally well, but either way, your sustained power is going to reign supreme. Yeah. You know what I find with uh 24 hour racing and like endurance racing like this is the ones that win the race. A lot of the time are just the people that know when they need to take a break and they listen mm -hmm. to that and they take a break when to come back in, what pace to ride I think so much of it is being in tune with what your body needs and being not, you know, not being too prideful to actually listen to that. Yeah. So on these, when someone's like, say that someone on the podium or something, uh, do they take breaks? How long? Yeah. Is, do they stop for dinner? Like what are they doing? Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, it depends. Uh, there's a, they can stop as long as they want to. You correct? can, you can stop and just not finish too. Um, it's all up to you. One lap and be done. Right? <laughs> I'm good. Call it. Yeah. Um, they scored, of course, on how many how many laps you end up getting done and how far through that lap you might be getting done at a certain point. But uh, yeah, it's it really it's up to you. And in most cases, you see these riders taking breaks in in ways that fit them. It's hard. It's not really a, a specific thing. There are certain people that like to just go at a consistent pace and they'll take very small breaks. Well, there are other people that will take a significant break. Um, I, I think that if you're doing this type of riding, so much of it would come down to nutrition and mm -hmm. come down to managing that aspect of things, right? Like, and I think a high level of general fitness. So if you just approach it, like, like I said, you're training for a century or an Ironman uh, bike leg or mm -hmm. geez, so for even a 40 K time trial, just as long as you have that sustainable power, that long-term power where you're not relying on explosiveness or really even high end upper end stuff and just pace it properly and nourish adequately. A high FTP really does yeah. help too. Oh, in this it's, case? It's all gonna be a proportionate to a high FTP. Mm -hmm. I'm doing some a, a loop that I've done a few times and today I think I rode it mm, 10 watts lower than I did two days ago and I was like 15 minutes slower, it's right, crazy, for normalized right? power. Yeah. So you can think about a 24 hour race being 10, having an FTP of 10 watts higher, yeah. putting it out, it's, it's all proportional. Yeah. Of how much faster you would go over 24 hours. It's pretty crazy. Power's king. 
Yeah, it yeah. really is. And with this- Five watt difference over 24 hours or even 12, it's going to make a big impact. It's almost like, uh, like Chad, the way that you mentioned that I, I like this in my mind, it's almost like having that aerobic endurance is kind of like the, it's like the cover charge to get into the party. And then <laughs> yeah. at that point, in order to make it a successful party, <laughs> you need to be able to know how to party. And that comes with that type of experience of knowing how to pace yourself, stick to those numbers and, and keep yourself going. So yeah, he's doing stay on top of your nutrition and hydration. Yeah. He's, he's doing epic rides, 24 hours of old Pe Pueblo. Yeah. 24 hours in old Pueblo, oh. I think is the technical name. They're very particular about that. Do you guys know how long a lap is? Like uh, how many, um, how much time on average? I think that, uh, I think it's something like a 14 mile lap or 17 mile. But in yeah, that case, that's, mile that's a two rider affair. Yeah. Well, I'm saying for us, for, if we do it as a four person oh, team yeah. and it's each lap, let's say is an hour, hour and a half, mm -hmm. that would be actually pretty enjoyable, right? Could be. Because we'd have a, I mean, yeah. basically three or four, four, and, four and a half hour. hours between each. And av ride. average speed tends to be pretty high there because it's not like it's not like we were riding in single track six, not super steep up and super steep down. It's a lot of rolling stuff. But in any case, time for, you know, a bit of a nap, certainly a meal. Yeah. Yeah. Podcast. <laughs> we should do a podcast each time someone comes oh, in. Let's do that. Just yeah. 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no. Chad is nodding. Are you shaking his head? Okay. So I'm going to propose a schedule for us. Okay. 2018 Leadville. Okay. 20. That's in August. Yeah. 2019. In February, this race. Okay. 24 hours in Old Pueblo. Yep. And then 2019 in August, Breck Epic. I'm up for that. That's a good, like, spacing between it. Mm. That'd be pretty cool. A first 2017 time trial. That's what we've heard. That's 2018 the next, I mean, time trial. Yeah. yeah. Sheesh. All right. There's a lot of stuff between the here and the time <laughs> trial, Jonathan. Don't even train. Lots of fun stuff. <laughs> Don't even. All right. Awesome. Good Good tips, Nate. Uh, Christoph, uh, he says, I know I shouldn't use erg mode on my kicker when performing an FTP test, but I find I can push myself harder that way as I can't slack off halfway through. If I feel okay halfway in, I can always increase the intensity. Does this make my FTP test less valid? Absolutely not. I think it's actually a good approach too. If you're familiar with erg mode and you've done a few FTP tests and you know what to expect, this is a really good way to pace your, your effort. Um, I, I've done this uh, back in the days where I led group classes. This was one of the, while everyone else was doing the standard FTP test, I would do this. And, and being I know roughly where I should start and roughly where I can go if the improvement I'm seeking is on track, is it was a really good, effective way to keep me from bailing out, to keep me from slacking off. And it also is a negative split, right? You don't start out too hard yep. if you've, let's say you want to hit 350 or something. It's just a really effective way to force you into a very specific pacing pattern. Yeah, now it's something hopefully you're understanding with this is you first should know where you need to pace because if you don't- Experience can, is absolutely requisite. You have to have yeah. done several FTP tests and know where you are yeah, and, not only and know that. what it should feel like. Yeah, exactly. That's the key, right? Like know what it should feel like and know how to, you should know how to pace. Uh, even though that this is taking care of a lot of that for you, you should know how to pace. Um, this is just a good way of kind of keeping yourself honest or even keeping yourself focused a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Some people could use it for that. Yeah, your tension can drift when the erg, mm. when erg has locked you into a particular output. Yeah, there's there's a different aspects to pacing. There's the your muscles and their ability to do it, but the, a lot of that also is your mind's ability to continue to, to push yourself down that road of, of discomfort yeah. and being able to sustain that. And you know, whatever you need to do, because remember the FTP test, we're trying to test your maximal ability here. So whatever you need to do to be able to get the most out of yourself with that is 
just going to give you a more accurate fix of your potential. So that's something that, you know, whatever you need to do to keep yourself focused, I, I, I'm all I'm all for that. And my single recommendation is a, just a really good soundtrack. Mm. Hugely motivating. Mine too. And make sure that you don't have the order wrong. Mm. Uh, one time in the middle of it, I had my cool down song come on. <laughs> and it was just ruined. It was just ruined, man. It, it suddenly became not so easy. So uh, yeah, make sure you have that going. Uh, Caleb says... Uh, hey guys, great podcast. Keep up the great work. We'll do that, Caleb. I recently took about nine months off the bike and skipped this 2017 race season for personal time reasons. He says there were no injuries. Uh, he's just adding that as a note. I want to get back into the race scene, but I'm realizing that I can no longer devote the eight to 10 hours per week of training that I used to have. Now I'm realistically looking at five hours or so. My FTP dropped from 320 to around 250 with the time off the bike. My weight is constant at 150 pounds, uh, and I used to target long and difficult road races, and my power curve was modeled as such, but I believe I would be more successful in shorter road races or crits if I am only training five or so hours per week. How should I go about steepening my power curve to give me a better shot in these short races? I'm spending one day a week with my free weights trying to build strength. Any advice here on weight training? I'm trying to evolve from a light climber with good long power into a strong rider capable of winning a sprint. What am I putting on weight as long as it comes from building muscle? Sorry for the long question. Thanks for the advice, Caleb. Yeah, so Caleb, without opening the weight training can of worms, I can say that if you add muscle mass and that muscle mass is useful, that could be one step toward man, uh, making you a, a better sprinter and, and veering you away from being a light climber. Um, the fact that you can get your... Th FTP up to 320 at 150 pounds says you probably got a really high strength to weight. Um, this definitely works in your favor as, as a sprinter. Uh, plenty of the fastest sprinters are little guys. Caleb, not, not, not to imply that you're little, but some of them are downright little and they are very fast. So, so you know, if you can add some muscle mass, all the better. But then it's just a question of, you know, seeing first if your physiology will, will uh, support it. You may find that you are predominantly a slow twitch rider, and this is going to be a real hard road for you to go down. You may find your physiology really lends to it, and you take to it quickly. You won't know until you start training specifically for it. Um, how you train for it is basically addressing short power. So short power build and all those short anaerobic efforts have to factor into your training, especially as it becomes more specialized and you move towards your key events. Um, and then beyond that, the specifics of outdoor, practice your sprints, practice some big gear stomps, um, practice, you know, innervating a lot of muscle and doing it quickly, uh, practice downhill sprints. I mean, there's a lot of ways to train a sprint, but obviously you're going to have to train a sprint. And in general, he's only at five hours. It's quality. Every session is oh, yeah, that, be yeah. So that's the other point. Um, absolutely. But that's, that's all of the low volume plans are basically four and a half hours a week plans. And you can do a lot on those four and a half hours mm -hmm. if they're very specific. Again, it's not going to make you the sort of racer who can go out and race five and six hour road races and be at the, at the pointy end of things. But you've already realistically come to that conclusion and you're addressing it. You're choosing shorter events and you're trying to exploit what may be a, a new strength. Caleb cross. Man, hour-long races. Totally, that's a really five good hours. Point. Totally, at his weight too. I mean, and his if three twenty at one fifty. Yeah, he could tear it up. Yep. Oh yeah, if you uh, even if you can get back up that. to three hundred. Yeah, mean, you'll do well at one hundred fifty pounds. You'd be right around where I am at that point. Yeah, um, I mean, in cross you have you are forced to sprint every lap multiple mm -hmm. times, uh, and it will build that type of fitness, and especially if you're adding in a low volume training plan, preparing for that sort of thing. So. Uh, could be really good. Also, Caleb, you're mentioning the fact that you're time crunched and that's one perk to cyclocross, I think, is the fact that the races tend to be, you know, it's quicker, it's it's over easier, 
um, or I should say it's over just quickly. It's, it's not, not easier. <laughs> it's not easier. Is anything um, longer than an hour in cyclocross? It's so I rarely. I think so. Yeah. yeah, so rarely. So uh, that's a good way too. If you're time crunched, uh, check it out. It could make you a fast sprinter too. It'd be good stuff. Uh, Mike, he says, greetings. New this, I'm new this year to structured training and trainer road is a blessing. I've not been consistent with training. I got a promotion at work and major surgery and slash a cancer scare of partner. Uh. Yikes. But saw big gains when I did, about 20 watts through sweet spot base alone. I have virtually unlimited training on the weekend, but only about one to one and a half hours a day during the week. What if any are the benefits of a hard run, and he says zone four plus, followed by a zone two bike ride beyond getting the body used to the feeling of the transition? Is there a physiological benefit such as both fast and slow twitch adaptation? And he also says any keto benefits. So are there benefits of brick training, I guess, is what he's asking. Yeah, there are. Um, doing it in a backward order like this leads me to believe that maybe you're concerned with doing duathlon or you're just looking to deplete uh, particular muscle fibers so that you can focus more on different muscle fibers. So in this case, you would be running your sugar stores low, cooking those fibers that work anaerobically mm. and shifting the emphasis onto the, the endurance fibers. And this is an approach that a lot of people use. They do basically a depletion effort of sorts, and then they ride things out for another, you know, whatever length of time, 30 minutes, two hours, metabolizing primarily fat for fuel and, you know, trying to incur those aerobic adaptations that they're seeking. So, uh, yeah, from a training benefit for sure. Uh, I honestly, I'd rather you, if you're just a cyclist, do your hard work on the bike and then follow that with the Z2 training or the zone two training, the aerobic endurance training. Mm. Um, but it's one way to go about it. I did this on accident today. Huh. I did two real hard hours and then I was like, oh, cooked. <laughs> and, then, and then I did one hour. And then you're like, forced to ride aerobically. Yeah. I mean, you really don't have any choice at that point. This you can refuel. Outside, so I had to like, I had to get back. So. Right. Yeah. You have to <laughs> Without get back home. calling Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. He's Jonathan picking and, me up. And, and you, you dig, you dig that particular hole and refueling isn't as simple as just eating something. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. It's a good point, right? It's not just getting more fuel in you. You're, you've so exhausted yourself. Go as hard as you can out 50 miles, <laughs> limp home. Just oh, kidding. It's called the survival ride. Yeah. I'm just joking. I see a lot of, and, and Mike mentions the fact that he, he, he isn't, I should say, he doesn't necessarily mention that he is a triathlete specifically, but he's just, you know, mixing these two things together. Um, I see a lot of triathletes using brick training and, and perhaps are, are there ways that you can misuse brick training? Yeah. Brick training in general is uh, very, it's like weightlifting. Mm -hmm. People are like, no, nah, you should always spread it out. But what I've always, my argument is if a lot of people only have so much time to train and especially with triathletes with multiple sports a day. And if you have a, let's say a two hour block and you can do put both those together, that's better than only doing one and then not doing the other. And it can I be think. done really well. It can be really informative too. You can see what it's like to do a hard bike workout and then try to follow it with any type of run. <laughs> Horribly difficult. Just, just Whereas if you dial things back a little bit, you know, more, yeah. more akin to race pace, something you would employ in a triathlon. And then you go for that run. You can see, oh, I've got so much more in the tank. If I dial my 90% effort down to 85%. I suck at walking after a hard bike race. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> well, Some triathletes do there's too. another <laughs> thing to consider. There's another thing to consider. You do a hard bike workout and then what's the quality of your run workout afterwards. So if the run That's is a weak point. link and you deplete yourself in, in so many ways on the bike and then try to run well, it's not going to happen. That is, that is exactly the argument against it that people use. Yeah. And um, I think if you're a newer triathlete, the psychological benefit of saying, hey, 
I can run three miles after I bike 14 miles. Right. Like, it's that, fine. Honestly, that's great. the benefit you need out of those brick runs, especially coming from the perspective of a new triathlete, is simply knowing that you can run off the bike. And you can achieve that in as little as a quarter mile. It doesn't take long. Run for five minutes afterwards. Show yourself you can do it. Yeah. You, you, I guess that the point is you don't want to get to a point where you're compromising the quality of one or even both of those just Nor to fit two in. injuring yourself. And the likelihood of that grows ex exponentially if you really fry yourself on the bike and then try to run fast. And at the pro level... Um, this is anecdotal, but I know Ironman World Championships, who swear by brick workouts. I've seen one where they do a 112-mile bike and then a 20-mile run. Good Lord. Oh, and, my and, But the 20-miler has repeats in it. Yeah. And oh that's gosh. their, like, their Kona prep. And then some These Ironman are high-level athletes, though. But chances are they've tried and, and tested this approach. Right. Some, some of them, though, who've won Kona mm -hmm. don't do any bricks. And that's so it's not, it's not a magical thing. Mm -hmm. And if it works for them, doesn't mean there isn't something that would work better. I have a hard time exactly. believing that's the right way to do it. Yeah, that's a good point, right? We should always be searching for different ways to test things out and discover what else could maybe yeah, be. Yeah, just because you find one efficient. thing that works, don't don't just accept that that's the only thing that works. Can you imagine doing that in training? A 112 oh, bike man. ride and then 20 mile. <laughs> I think <laughs> they had one mile. I don't even want to imagine it. <laughs> that's terrible, <Sounds> man. <laughs> yeah, I awful. mean. Those are some tough athletes right there. Yeah, I have so much respect, especially for all the triathletes that we, I mean, period. If you do an Ironman, period, you are gnarly. If you do a mm. sprint triathlon, in my mind, you're gnarly but if you go to kona you're otherworldly i know just so amazing. as a triathlete into the road world now triathletes get kind of poo-pooed on a lot because there's a it's very accepting to new people so new people come in and people they might say this new person and now that all of triathlons like that but man the top level triathletes or men and women incredible are amazing athletes oh yeah it's in, in three it's disciplines incredible. they do three things better than i can do one yes i know isn't it <laughs> yes. annoying i mean oh even look at like matt lieto he was on this podcast. He just raced Downeyville this weekend and he raced lost and found gravel grinder and he does darn well. Like mm. he's, he's out there, not a mountain biker first, and he's out there learning the skills of it. But still, like, I think the one thing triathlon teaches you is just a level of grit and tenacity to push through and get that done. And, and that's evident at least in, uh, sorry, Matt, I'm patting you on the back here, but that's evident in, in the fact that you can just show up at these races that are far from within your typical wheelhouse and you still do so well. They're, they're just incredible athletes. Huge aerobic engines. Guys, Huge. when are we going to go switch to triathlon? I, I thought that, that was going to figure into when you were laying out 2018, yeah. 2019 I'm ready. at some point. I, I, I've swam twice in the last <laughs> six months, which is more than I, I swam think, in the last two years. I think I would like to, I, I still want to get better at the bike. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking when I'm 40, four and a half years from now. Oh, sure. yeah. That's a long time. Then I'm going to yeah. start and yeah. then I'll be at a bigger age group. And then sometime between that 40 and 44, Try to qualify for Kona. What do you think? That'd be pretty cool. Sounds good. I'll be in the 50-55s. That's so that will be 55. Chad. You can do it because at that age group too, for people who don't know, to qualify for Kona, you have to do an, um, an Ironman event, and then it's by age group bracket. Yeah. And they have slots al allocated for how many people are in each age group. Yeah. The forty to forty-four is usually the largest, so there's the most slots. At forty to forty-four, there are a ton of fast guys still. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes though, if there's like eight slots, the the seven and eighth will really drop down in time. Yeah. But in, if Chad, if you're 50 to 54, mm -hmm. that will also have a lot of people. And there'll also be some guy who's like as fast as a 30 year old, but it drops off quicker. And the, the higher up you get in age, the faster it drops off, like yeah. the less consistent everybody yeah, is. I've noticed that. Yeah. So it's a little bit, I won't, I don't, it's not easier because you're older, yeah. but it's, it's <laughs> just, uh, yeah, it's not easier. It's, it's still not, hard. It's never going to be a free ride. It's, oh, heck yeah, no. You got to be yeah. 
smoking fast. I'm sure there are a lot of people just like a lot of triathletes listening to this, just like doing the Mr. Burns thing with their fingers together, thinking of, of myself <laughs> <or> <laughs> getting into getting into triathlon. We're going to beat them so hard. <laughs> yeah. No, and, Jonathan and would probably will. destroy it. So oh. those who don't know, how much your first 5k, what was the time again? 18 flat. So Jonathan's first ever running race, 5k, 18 minutes flat. All these triathletes on here are like, ah, shoot. Well, <laughs> that is really fast, Jonathan. If you learn how to swim, yeah, it's 5K though. So after he yeah. smokes us on, yeah, but it scales. So yeah. <laughs> after he smokes us on a TT, like oh, he goes gosh. like 49 or something, we're just, I'm just going to sign him up for some lessons. Have a choice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get a trainer road <laughs> swim coach. Oh, we'll get no. Jeff Pearson out here oh, and we'll just make you qualify for Kona. Oh, I don't know about that. You have I, the grit. Yeah, yeah, I do. I don't like, I, I, do I don't it. have a spit of quit in me, as they say. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's so much respect for all of you triathletes out there, by the way. So I know we've been doing a lot of mountain bike content recently. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if I necessarily need to say respect to mountain bikers, because obviously I would think that hopefully you understand that I have that. Um, but massive respect. To we still love you triathletes. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah, man. You guys are amazing. So, okay. Uh, that covers it for this week's episode. Thank you everybody for submitting your questions. Uh, you can do so again or submit your first question, whichever many at trainerroadcom slash podcast, and we'll come through them, put them into the episode next week, and we will talk to you then. Happy training, everybody. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.